Welcome to our podcast here at Hope United Church. To access the live stream of our services, along with other resources and information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk. So this is the works of, of Jonathan Edwards. Um, and you might look at a book like that and you say, oh, I could, I could never read a book like that. That looks serious. Even, even the weight of it is serious. Um, but that's, that's probably about £20, I think, it is for, for one volume. And there's two volumes. And you might look at that and say, oh, that, that looks like a lot to read. But it's broken down into different things that, that Jonathan Edwards has written. Uh, and you can take sections. And one of the sections in this volume two is The Life and Diary of David Brainerd. And I highly, highly, highly recommend that you take time to, to get a copy or get a copy or somewhere and read the diary of this man that I'm going to talk about tonight. Because it will encourage you so much in the fact that I don't know what we're complaining about sometimes. We have no excuses to complain in our Christian walk sometimes when you hear about the life of, of this man. So... I brought that tonight. It's quite a 70s kind of look, isn't it? It's quite nice. quite like it. But it's, 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 a, it's a must, I think, if you're serious about reading theology and things like that. Like I say, it can be a bit daunting, but that for me is a must. It should be on your shelf. So there's my, my pitch. It's the best 20 quid you'll ever spend. So I just want to say again this morning was a, a thank you, Pastor. It was a, a powerful word, it truly was. Uh, how devoted we are, are we, to, to God and his ways in our life? Where do we spend our time? How often are we in Christian company? How often do we desire Christian company? More to the point. Uh, as iron sharpens iron, a man will sharpen another, as the Bible says. If we don't have that sharpening, then we quickly, quickly will go blunt. And uh, like this man that I'm going to speak about tonight, I can be a bit melancholic in my view of life. I can be a bit introspective, a wee bit quiet, a wee bit... Some people might say, oh, he's a, he's a thinker. Not really. <laughs> just, just a good avoider at times. So never mistake that. Make that mistake. Yes, we should be good thinkers, absolutely. But we should never use it as a, an excuse to not be uh, proactive in what we've heard this morning. Proactive in, in being faithful to God and the things of God that he's instructing us in. So I have a lot to, to live up to tonight because Fraser did such an amazing job last, last week of R.C. Sproul. And this is a totally different kind of hemisphere from that almost because we're into the 1700s. So hopefully next time I'll, I'll get somebody a bit more modern that can use video footage and stuff. But this guy was uh, alive in the 1700s, so I'm, I'm gradually catching up. I've only got maybe 300 years to go. But anyway, um, so I just want to share this tonight. And really this is, I want to share something just a bit personal to start off with. Uh, in 1999, I had the opportunity of going to Tanzania. Uh, in Africa and to see uh, a work there, a missionary work. 
And this man, David Brain, is, is a missionary. So I went uh, along with my church pastor and a, a team at that time to see a missionary work. And I really kind of fell in love with the concept, if you like, of what a missionary is. I loved Africa, I loved the colours, I loved the people, kind of the vibrancy, uh, the friendliness of the people that made you feel so, so welcome. I ate goat soup for the first time. Everybody, anybody tried that? No, goat soup? Didn't think so. It's, it's quite nice. It's quite, well, I thought it was quite nice anyway. But I don't know what my palate was, was like back then. But anyway, I had a, I had a great time in Tanzania. I loved the country. It was a beautiful place. And then the next year, I saw the other end of the, the spectrum. Yeah, I was newly married in, in June 2000, because the world was supposed to end in 2000, but I, I decided to get married anyway. And uh, we had the opportunity to go to Africa again as a kind of missionary couple, because that held such esteem and People would love me and I would have the acclaim and I would be able to boast that I was a missionary and people would respect me and he must be really spiritual. And really it was just a, a bit of an escape plan, really. Plus it was a bit of a, a, a honeymoon for me and, the, me and the wife, Donna. But really, truly be told it was a harsh, harsh lesson. Yeah, and I really... Uh, discovered what it was at that time, what it was to truly be in the mission field and what it wasn't to be in the mission field. And I truly saw some things that really disturbed me at that time and scarred me really and put me off missionary work for life. Um, just the, the company that we were with, their attitude to the, the African people at that time yeah, left a whole lot to be desired. Let's put it that way. And it really put me off. It really put me off. So, but I still had this kind of admiration, if you like, for, for missionaries and what, what they stood for. And like we heard this morning, it's important that they're part of a church and the church sends them. Yeah, and that they're connected and they're accountable. And this man, David Brainerd, certainly was all those things. So I just want to crack on. But that's why I've chosen this man. Because I do still have that kind of love and that respect for true missionaries of God. And what they're trying to achieve for God. So anyway, let's crack on. So this all takes place in the northeast. You want to put that map up, guys? There he is there. No bother. So this all takes uh, place in the northeast of America. Now, I don't know what your American geography is like, uh, but this is in the far northeast. So uh, the English and uh, the French and the Dutch, everybody in Europe seems to have went to America at this time in the 1700s and invaded their lands almost. Uh, kind of late on in the 1600s, they, they really settled there, started making cities. Um, and Brainerd was born into this in 1718. His dad was a part of the, the council for the settlement in Connecticut, uh, near Hartford in Connecticut, which is, again, not far from New York. New York's here, and it's just up kind of around the corner from New York. Um, so he was born into that. His dad was a, a minister. 
his, his family were church-going people, so he was brought up. He was catechized as a, as a young person, so he grew up around religion, if you like. Um, and, but the problem was he kind of he saw these duties, as he, as he called them, uh, he thought, in, in his mind, these duties were kind of, were enough. These duties of religion would be enough to, to gain him salvation. It was a, a kind of works-based mindset that he had. Well, there we go. So you see the C-O-N-N, New Haven. That's whereabouts he's from. And basically all that map there, through his time, he covered on horseback. So... He was he was a, an avid avid rider of of his horse and he was never off the thing it seems. So anyway, he grew up with this kind of like I say mindset that was very religious. And I just want to share a couple of wee things from his diary uh, just to, to to furnish the what I'm going to say here. Um, so I'm just going to read this. This is in his own words from his diary. I was. From my youth, somewhat sober and inclined rather to melancholy than the contrary extreme, but do not remember anything of conviction of sin worthy of remark till I was, I believe, about seven or eight years of age. Then I started to become concerned for my soul and terrified at the thoughts of death and was driven to the performance of duties. But it appeared a melancholy business and destroyed my eagerness to play. And though, alas, this religion concern was but short-lived, I sometimes attended secret prayer and thus lived at ease in Zion without God in the world. So he had this kind of, like I say, this mindset where he would pray, he would do all the godly things, he would maybe go to meetings even at that time. He was catechized, like I said, as a, as a young boy. But it was all without God. He lost his dad at uh, the age of eight and his mother at the age of 13. So he became an orphan fairly quickly. And this is really the story of his life. He had to deal with a lot. Even as a young man, he had to deal with a lot on his plate. Uh, until one day at 19, he decided to move to a farm. Uh, through the, the loss of his parents, he gained a farm. So he went to work on the farm for, at 19. All the time he was kind of inwardly seeking God or seeking godly things to know more of God or to understand more of God. Uh, and in 1738, he moved in with a Mr. Fisk, who was the pastor of the church in Haddam, where he was born. But he kept doing these duties kept going to church, doing all the right things, all these religious things. Then suddenly in 1739, he met with God. He was saved. And I just want to read his account of, of where he was saved. Again, this is all taken from his diary. And these words, these, as our, our pastor, uh, I believe, posted about this a couple of weeks ago, these words are phenomenal in the way that he's captured the moment of his salvation, if you like. I thought the Spirit of God had quite left me, but still was not distressed, yet disconsolate. 
as if, as if there was nothing in heaven or, or earth could make me happy. Having been thus endeavouring to pray, though as I thought very stupid and senseless, for near half an hour, then as I was walking in the dark thick grove, unspeakable glory seemed to open to the view and apprehension of my soul. I do not mean any external brightness, for I saw no such thing, nor do I intend any imagination of a body of light, somewhere in the third heavens or anything of that nature, but it was a new inward apprehension or view that I had of God, such as I had never had before, nor anything which had the least resemblance of it. I stood still, wondered and admired. I knew that I had never seen before anything comparable to it for ex excellency and beauty. It was widely different from all the conceptions that I ever had of God or things divine. I had no particular apprehension of any one person in the Trinity, either the Father, Son or Holy Ghost, but it appeared to be divine glory. My soul rejoiced with joy unspeakable to see such a God, such a glorious divine being. And I was inwardly pleased and satisfied that he should be God over all, forever and ever. Amen. So suddenly he was saved, quite miraculously, after all these years of keeping his duties. And God saved him. Then from on that, that moment onwards, his life changed dramatically. And I've titled this, uh, David Brainerd, Relentless Devotion. Because right from the get-go, it seems... He was relentless in his devotion to God. Like, like I say, if you read his diary, day after day, two, three hours in prayer. This morning I prayed to God till, till I could no, pray no longer. I exhausted myself in prayer. I prayed again in the afternoon till I was exhausted. Again, just relentless, relentless devotion to know God, to know what God wanted him to do in his life so he entered Yale and Yale in that day was uh, the center of the, the Great Awakening if you heard of the, the Great Awakening before and this is where really Jonathan Edwards comes on the scene and Jonathan Edwards really was the, the start of the Great Awakening his, along with his preaching uh, around this area the Great Awakening had happened in the first wave and then George Whitfield came across to speak at Yale College and again that really infused the young people and it was young people that were getting saved the youth of the the town the youth of that area were getting saved and the old men weren't really liking it and so uh, David Brainerd is, is, is being saved into this great awakening and uh, like I say, the, the people in charge of the, the Yale College weren't really sure if this was a move of God or not. They weren't really certain what was happening. They couldn't really get to grips with what God was doing here. Is it a move of God or just the young people getting carried away, basically? But it truly was a move of God. And David Brainerd, like I say, was saved into this. Uh, and once he was saved, uh, he knew... Uh, and he could get to grips with what he had learned all throughout his childhood. 
he really gained the, a great understanding of who God was to him. He had a high view of God. He saw himself as just a lowly sinner. All the things that we know, the, the doctrines of grace, he understood them. He, he was a clever man, a man of great understanding, and got to grips with it very quickly. And he loved his studies. He was top of the class in his studies at Yale. Uh, until one day, uh, something happened which changed his, path, uh, changed his passage in life. And really it was the, the sovereignty of God in, at work in his life. And uh, he was talking amongst his friends one day. And he said these words. He said, my tutor seems to have no more. Uh, sorry, let me see this again. My tutor has no more the grace of God than a chair. So he made that remark amongst his friends and a, a young man was, was passing by, a young kind of freshman. And he went and told, I think it was a miss, Mrs. Busybody in the town. And then eventually the, the, the lecturers in the college found out. And Brainerd was expelled from Yale. But in the background, God was working this out for, for his benefit and for his, really, his purposes. So fast forward a bit. Um, there was a, a Scottish society for the propagation of Christian knowledge. What a mouthful. But they were based in New York and they brought Brainerd uh, on board very quickly, acknowledging that this man was gifted. So he went to the Indians in Kaunameek, uh, kind of up near uh, in the New York state area. Uh, and he, he, he really... Uh, this was him really in the coal face, if you like. Uh, nobody had done this before. This was kind of a, a breaking ground here, if you like. Yeah. Uh, but he was, again, he was very eager to go. He had the, the, the zeal, if you like, the zeal for God in his life. And he busied himself traveling by horseback all over Connecticut and New York State. He was always seeking to share the gospel to whomever he met. And he would not stay in company long if the talk did not surround God. He would often cut his visit with people short if they were hostile to the gospel or just too worldly in their conversation. He would not waste time. He would not suffer fools gladly. His desire alone was to please God. And the importance of Christian fellowship and accountability was, was in his life. It was such an important part of his life. Every day was not wasted. He complained and complained and, and derided himself for wasting time. If I waste this time, I cannot do these things for God. If I carry on wasting time with people that are not going to listen or are not interested in God. So he busied himself. And he went to the Indians, like I say, in Kalamik first. But with very little success, nobody seemed to be interested. Nobody seemed to be getting saved. The first person ever to be saved was actually his first interpreter that went with him. But nobody else was saved at that time. But this did not stop him. This did not deter him. Uh, and again, he went back to the, the society he had to report there he had to give a report every few months to them to, to tell them what was happening 
there were Mr. Pemberton, who was a pastor in New York, Mr. Burr of Newark, and Mr. Mills of Ripton. These were his kind of eldership, if you like. So he had to report to them. He had to give his journal, report back to them what was happening. They had to keep accountability here. So he stayed under the, the guidance of a Mr. Sergeant at Stockbridge. And eventually he built his own hut amongst the Indians. So he was so devout, so determined to win these people that he, he made his home amongst them even trying to learn, learn the language, Algonquin. These were harsh, harsh environments. A Puritan called Michael Wigglesworth had said this in 1662. A waste and howling wilderness is there where none inhabited but hellish fiends and brutish men that devils worshiped. Brainerd's only concern, even here in this, was God's glory. This did not put him off. Even after no join Kanamik, he was called back to the society and they called him to go south. He was very weak in his body at this time. He had contracted TB, very common at this time because of living, man, imagine living amongst the Indians and then wigwams and things like that. Not the most kind of cleanest environment. And he contracted TB, but even this didn't stop him. TB is, a, is like bacteria multiplying in your, in, in your body, attacking your lungs, so you would find yourself short on breath and you would, uh, incessant coughing, a loss of appetite, weight loss, but even this did not stop him. He was going everywhere by horse. It was said he would spend up to 20 hours in the saddle in one week just trying to preach to these Indians. So he set out for the forks of Delaware on, 19, on Tuesday, June the 19th. And these were his methods amongst the Indians. No different than us today. It's not like he had some special kind of wand that he used amongst these people, amongst these savages. He would pray unceasingly every morning. Like I said, his devotion determined his life. He would preach Christ only, centered sermons. He would hold public baptisms. He would teach by catechism a Wednesday and a Thursday holding classes so these Indians understood who Christ was. He would teach church history. He became aware of the culture of the Indians, what they believed, what they stood for, so that he could, he could teach them a new way, God's ways. He would communicate the gospel he would establish English-speaking schools amongst the Indians so that they could communicate clearly with each other. And this would be a kind of a blueprint for further uh, missionaries to follow. So this was really a, a pioneer man doing things, great things for God. And he only got saved at 21, the age of 21, and he died at the age of 29. And he only had eight years to do all he could for God. And he achieved so much. He went deeper and deeper into the wilderness where nobody had gone before with his own life at stake. Jonathan Edwards would record these words at a place called Cross Week Sun in New Jersey. Here God was pleased to display his power and grace and a work of conviction 
Awakening and conversion began among the Indians, which closely resembled what we had earlier seen amongst the New England Great Awakening. There was a revival among the heathen, and judging by the record in Brainerd's journal, it was one of the most remarkable in Christian history. So this man was a true pioneer, a true missionary, going into these darkest of places and establishing churches in the Indian communities. Not surprisingly, despite his worn out body, Brainerd found a new energy in this. By November 1745, he had ridden over 3,000 miles in nine months, averaging 20 hours a week in the saddle. Nevertheless, despite some wider blessing, it was the Indians of Crossweeksung who became his own congregation. He could write later, I have oftentimes thought they would cheerfully and diligently attend divine worship for 24 hours in one go, if they had the opportunity to do so. I know of no assembly of Christians where there seems to be so much of the presence of God, where brotherly love so much prevails. I just want to read one more excerpt from his diary. And this is uh, about one such journey that he had. And just shows you that the brutality that he put himself in for the, the cause of God. The next day he set out on his journey to Susquehanna with his interpreter. He endured great hardships and fatigues in his way through a hideous wilderness where after having lodged one night in the open woods, he was overtaken with a northeasterly storm in which he was almost ready to perish. Having no manner of shelter and not being able to make a fire in such a great rain, he had no comfort if he stopped. Therefore, he determined to go forward in hopes of meeting with some shelter, without which he thought it impossible to live the night through. But their horses, having, to, having had eaten poison at a place where they lodged the night before, were so sick that they could neither ride nor lead them, but were, were obliged to drive them and travel on foot, until through the mercy of God, just as dusk, they came to a bark hut where they lodged that night. After he came to Susquehanna, he traveled about a hundred miles on the river and visited many towns and settlements of the Indians. He saw some of seven or eight distinct tribes and preached to different nations by different interpreters. He was sometimes much discouraged and sunk in his spirits through the opposition that appeared in the Indians. Other times he was so encouraged by the disposition that some of these people manifested to hear and willingness to be instructed. He here met with some that had formerly been his hearers at Kalnameek and had re removed hither, who saw and heard him again with great joy. He spent a fortnight among the Indians on this river and passed through considerable labours and hardships frequently lodging on the ground and sometimes in the open air. And at length he fell extremely ill as he was riding in the wilderness, being seized with an ague, followed with a burning fever and extreme pains in his head and bowels, attended with a great evacuation of blood so that he thought he must have perished in the wilderness. 
But at last he came to a trader's hut. He got leave to stay there. And though with, without psychic or uh, physical, sorry, or food proper for him, it pleased God after about a week's distress to relieve him so far that he was able to ride back again. So just a wee taste of what he faced for the, for the cause of God. And I just want to finish with, with Edward's word. And Jonathan Edwards never heard David Brainerd preach. He said, I never heard him preach, but I heard him pray. And he says, the way that he spoke to God, I certainly knew that he could speak to man. He was on the mission three, on the mission field, sorry, for three years, and he had achieved so much. Thursday, May 28, 1747, he returned to Northampton to stay with Jonathan Edwards, to be nursed by his family, and to die there in his house. Jonathan Edwards recalled when taking David Brainerd's funeral, a little before his death, he said to me, as I came into the room, my thoughts have been employed on the dear old theme, the prosperity of God's church on earth. As I woke this morning, I was led to cry for the pouring out of God's spirit and the advancement of Christ's kingdom, which our dear Redeemer died and suffered so much for. It is that that makes me long for it. A few days before his death, he desired that we sang a part of the 102nd Psalm, a prayer for one who is afflicted. When he is faint, he pours out his heart to God. And when we were done, though he was then so low he could scarcely speak, he so exerted himself that he made a prayer, very audibly. Besides praying for those present and for his own congregation, he earnestly prayed for the reviving and flourishing of religion in the world. Edwards never heard Brainerd preach, but he heard him pray that day, saying if he could speak to God in such a way, then he can certainly speak to man. Oh, that the things that were seen and heard in this extraordinary person, his holiness, heavenliness, labor, and self-denial in life, may it effectually stir us up to endeavour that in the way of such a holy life we may at last come to so bless an end. So really, David Brainerd's legacy is in the words of this book, the words that were recorded by Jonathan Edwards. Uh, on, on his deathbed, he wished that all his diary and all his journals were destroyed. But Edwards wouldn't have it. And he kept them, unbeknown to, to David Brenner. He kept them. And two years after his death, he published them in this work. And that's his legacy, really. The legacy of his devotion to God and what he wanted to, to do for God amongst the, these Indians. That nobody else had ever tried before. He was willing to give his life to preach the gospel to them. And really that is his legacy. These, these words recorded in this book. Amen. 
Thank you for joining us for our podcast here at Hope United Church. If you'd like to get in touch or for any more information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk. Thank you.